0: Tonight to Mark chapter number five. Mark chapter number five this evening. Good to be back in the house of the Lord. Looks like I preached a few people out onto the street. They didn't come back, but uh, that's all right. I'm glad you're here tonight, and trust that God will speak to your heart this evening in the truth of His Word. Uh, I'm glad He speaks to us, Amen. I'm glad, man. Where would we be if He wouldn't speak to us? and I'm glad He speaks to us. Mark chapter number five. This is a familiar passage of Scripture, and I want to read the first fifteen verses. Of this chapter, the word of God says, Mark chapter fifteen, or chapter five, excuse me, verse number one. The word of God says, they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. When he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. No man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much, that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh under the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. They that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see Him that was possessed with the devil, and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word tonight. Lord, thank You that it's sufficient. Thank You for meeting with us this morning. Lord, I trust that we've come with our hearts just as surrendered to You tonight as we did this morning. That Father, You have just as much of a desire to speak to us tonight as You did this morning. And so, Lord, there's no reason to believe that we won't hear from heaven tonight as we seek to be obedient unto Thee. I pray for each and every heart that's here, Lord, that they would be receptive. Lord, beginning with me, Lord, when I when I preach, You preach at me, and You preach to me. And Lord, I pray I'd be obedient and receptive to the truth of Your Word as well. Give us encouragement. Give us comfort, Lord. Give us challenge. Give us change in our hearts in as much as it's needed. We'll be sure to thank You for it. Lord, we love You. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I would venture to say tonight that this is probably not your first trip to Mark chapter 5. Commentators have often said that this is a power, a chapter of hopeless situations. When you move through it, you find a maniac that society had given up on. You find a woman that doctors had given up on. You find a daughter, Jairus' daughter, that the servants and, and the family, everybody but Jairus, had given up on. But in each of these situations, the Savior steps in, in a hopeless situation, and changes the the circumstances, the situation changes, delivers the person, uh, and brings glory unto himself through it. And so I think Mark chapter 5 is probably a familiar passage to you. I'd I'd venture a guess that you've probably heard lots of messages preached on this maniac of Gadara. And there's a lot, Brother Charlie, we can say about him tonight. Really, if I had the time to preach four or five sermons, I could go through and we could talk about everything as relates to this man. It's a fascinating case study in what the devil seeks to do in a person's life and what the devil's influence looks like in a person's life. We could talk tonight about this man's torment. The Bible tells us in verse number 2 that there was a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him. No, not with chains. We find out that he was an unbearable man. He was an ungovernable man. He was a man uh, that no man could control. He had been cast to the outskirts of society because it was troubling to be around him. It was disconcerting to be around him. They could not handle uh, how troubling it was to see this torn and wretched human being. He was unbearable. He was uncontrollable. Verse number 4 says that he had been often bound with fetters and chains but the chains had been plucked asunder by Him and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame Him. Society put all the chains on Him that they could and tried to control Him, but they could not control Him. Can I say this? Society can put all the chains on wickedness that it wants to, but until God changes the heart of a man, it's not going to change anything about it. Now, that's not I'm not advocating uh, for a loose approach to the law. I'm just saying we can't legislate what God's got to regenerate inside of a man. We ought to have a godly society. Our laws ought to be based on the truth of the Word of God. Let us never be mistaken. Hey, listen, it ain't going to be the next law. It ain't going to be the next Congress that fixes things. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change a man's life. Society had put chains on this man and fetters upon him, but it did no good. He was unbearable. He was uncontrollable. Verse number 5, the Bible says, always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. He was inconsolable. This man had no peace in his heart. He sought to uh, self-harm and self-destruction uh, probably because uh, he hated what lived inside of him, those devils that lived inside of him probably in moments of lucidness when he was aware of what was taking place. He probably thought to himself, if I can just kill myself and end myself, I won't have to deal with this any longer. He was a man that could find no peace. You had lived in Gadara uh, in the dark uh, moments of the night. You could have heard this man howling and screaming and crying and weeping, and it was so troubling that moved him out of the village and out of the city. He had taken up to living in the graveyards, in the tombs, in the mountains. This was a tormented man. But tonight, I don't want to talk about his torment. We could talk about his triumph. We could talk about the authority of Christ. How that the devils confess who the Lord is and how they bow before Him and how when the Lord shows up, He has absolute mastery over what's going on in that man's life. Aren't you glad there came a man one day that could fix your problems? All that you had tried to plug up with drugs and with alcohol and relationships and all these various pursuits. I remember talking to my daddy-in-law one time. He grew up in the hippie days and he was a hippie back in the hippie days. He was talking about all the things that they pursued after. All the Eastern gurus, all the Eastern religions. They jumped from one thing to the next thing because nothing gave them peace. Until one day the Holy Ghost got a hold of His heart. He fell down and confessed himself a sinner. He said that when he realized he was going to hell, he literally fell out on the floor. And he said, I wasn't slain in the Spirit, but he said it just hit me like a thunderbolt. that if I died, I'd die in my sins and I'd die and go to hell. He met a man one day that had the control over the situation. That had the mastery of it. We could talk about the authority of Christ. We could talk about the abundance of devils in this man's life. The Bible says that they answer that their name is Legion. What they're really saying there is there's a whole bunch of us. I'd say this, this man had a big problem. But can I tell you, Jesus is equipped to handle big problems. Sometimes we get the idea that we're going to move beyond Jesus' pay grade or whatever we want to say. Uh, But you can't get beyond His capability. I said you can't get beyond His capability. He's capable in all situations. We can talk about the abode of the devils. Whenever they say, "Don't, don't destroy us, but cast us into these swine... Let us go to them. There's a lot of questions I can't answer about that. Uh, A lot of them that if you were to be honest, you probably can't either. One of the things we recognize is, hey, unclean spirits seek out unclean places. Uh, Unclean spirits seek out unclean places. Uh, They went looking for a place that was not in keeping with the tenets and truth of God's Word. Uh, But we see that the Lord, He casts them out of the... of. Now listen, I love bacon. Somebody say amen. I love pork of any kind. We have pulled pork, smoked pork, pork loin, stuffed pork loin, bacon, sausage. We got it all in my house. He said, why do you do that? What well, keeps the Muslims away? Amen. That's why we do it. But, uh, listen, I, I'm for it, but can I notice here that the Lord values the life of a human above the life of an animal? He values the life of a human being above the lives of animals. In fact, he values the life of this one man above the 2,000 swine that he knows is about to be destroyed. We could talk about his triumph, but that ain't what I want to preach on tonight. We could spend a few moments and talk about this man's transformation. What a beautiful thing verse number 15 is. Did you notice it? The Bible says they come to Jesus and see Him that was possessed with the devil had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. What an amazing change that Jesus had made in this man's life. I noticed, number one, I noticed he was calm. He's not crying anymore. He's not screaming anymore. He's not trying to destroy himself anymore. Now he's got peace. And you know, the same thing that made him hate himself, the the mirror image is what made him finally love himself and be okay with himself. Why did he hate himself? Because of who lived within him. Or why did he grow to love himself? Because of who lived within him. He's calm because he recognizes that the Lord is the Master. He's in control. I noticed this. He was clothed. First thing he did is go and put clothes on. The Bible tells us he was naked. Uh, but he sensed and felt shame for the first time. Uh, this is what happens when a person becomes aware of their sinfulness. They uh, they clothe themselves. That's what the Bible says in Genesis 3. Whenever Adam and Eve recognized that, that they had sinned, were aware of that, they went and they put clothes on themselves. And that's what he did. Shamefacedness is a is a biblical virtue. We ought to be ashamed about some things. There ought to be. Hey, listen, one of the marks of the end days would be that men would no longer be able to blush anymore. And I think we're probably there, don't you? Nothing embarrasses anybody anymore. And then I noticed he was coherent. The Bible says he was in his right mind. That's more than can be said for some of us. But of this man, he was in his right mind. He was thinking straight for the first time. You know, I bet when them devils lived within him, they tried to convince him that His way of thinking was right whenever they were living within Him. And that's kind of what the world does, isn't it? The world tries to get us to believe that it's normal to believe that a person can be any gender that they want. There ain't nothing normal about that way of thinking. The world wants us to believe that, that it's normal to believe that, that pornography can, can be widely distributed, but the Word of God is hate speech. Uh, listen, that's warped thinking. But the world tries to convince, but you know, now that Jesus is setting in free, He's in His right mind. Now he can see things for what they truly and really are. But I don't really want to talk about his transformation tonight. We could say a word about his testimony, I suppose. Uh, We notice in verse number 18, he wants to go where Jesus goes. Isn't that what it says, verse 18? He that was come into the ship, when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil, prayed him that he might be with him. Uh, You know, when a man gets born again, he wants to be where Jesus is. That's why it's natural to want to be in the house of God. Now I understand that Jesus has fellowship with us, I understand that we don't have to be within the walls of the house, uh, but He said where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be. I want to be where He's at. Amen. And that's normal to want to be close to the Lord when a person gets saved. We could talk about His commission to Christ's cause. Look what the Lord tells in verse 19. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. First thing He did was got signed up in the Lord's army. He got first thing, he got recruited to the soul winning ministry. I'm talking about he hadn't gone through any classes or nothing. First thing happened, the Lord said, now go home and tell somebody what I've done for you. He, I could talk about his commission. I could talk about his submission to Christ's command. Verse number 20, he departed and began to publish in the capitals how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. You know, he didn't argue with the Lord, he just obeyed the Lord. Uh, he didn't argue with the Lord, he just obeyed him. He just did what the Lord told him. Yeah, listen, let us not be drawn away from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. We ought to just obey him when He tells us to do so. So if a preacher, what'll happen? No, listen, you've done thought too much. Just go ahead and obey it. But preacher, if things go wrong, ain't going to go wrong. God's in control. And even if they go wrong, the going wrong is in God's control. Just go ahead and obey Him. Just do what He wants you to do. We could talk about His submission uh, to Christ's command. We could talk about His propagation of Christ's Gospel. The Bible says that He went and told all men how great things Jesus had done for Him and all men did marvel. But you know, I don't really want to talk about His testimony Not but 10. I don't want to preach about none of those things. instead, I want to notice something in our text. And I want to ask you a question. When I read through here, I notice that this man seems to already be interested in the Lord Jesus. There are three things that stand out to me that I think it is easy to dismiss. Let's notice first off tonight how he approached him. Did you notice it? Verse 2. The Bible says, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Jesus did not have to go looking for this man. He did not have to go chasing this man. Whenever Jesus lands on the shore, this man is waiting on Him. Isn't that a fascinating thing? Uh, Have you ever had an experience witnessing to somebody where by the time the Gospel uh, drew up anchor right at their shore, they were waiting to hear what was being said? Uh, listen, there's times when I've had, to, I've had to pursue and I've had to pray and I've had to probably do a little cajoling and arguing. And then there's been other times where, like Lydia in the book of Acts, whose heart the Lord opened, uh, Dr. Tom Malone said it was like a ripe apple just falling from a tree because it's ready. Uh, this man, Jesus don't have to go looking for him. He is standing there waiting for the help of the Lord. I, I see how he approached it. Number two, I see how he adored it. Now, I want to be clear in what i say here. I believe there is a great conflict within this man. It seems apparent to me uh, that if the devils did not want to have anything to do with Jesus, they would not have run up to Jesus in the first place. Brother Charlie, is that right? Am I tracking right? Don't that make sense? If they didn't want anything to do with the Son of God, they would not have ran up to Him whenever He was on the ship. So I would say this, it was the man that ran up to them and not the devils. You see, this man has moments of lucidness. We can tell that by his self-arm and self-hurt. But other times when it's the devil's speaking through him, and it seems apparent to me, this man, when he runs up to Jesus, he is aware of who he is, and he is seeking his help. And then the conversation turns to what the devil say. But what is the first thing he does? The Bible says in verse 6, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran. This is what your Bible says. It ain't me, it's what your Bible says. It says, and worship. I see how He adored Him. He worshipped Him. He knew who He was. He recognized who He was. And there was a part of this man that did not meet Him with hostility. I know the devils did. But there's a part of this man that recognizes who Jesus is and falls down and worships Him as being worthy. I I notice how He adored Him. And then I notice how He addressed Him. And I'll admit to you that we may be getting into a territory where we would have some trouble saying, when is it the man... And when is it the devil? But notice what he says. Verse number 7, he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now let me say, I am aware that that's probably the devil speaking. But I venture this, if the devil is saying something with your mouth, you're probably aware of it as well and believe it and understand it. I see how he addressed him. I notice his faith. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, when you read through the Gospels, Jesus never stepped over anybody's faith or lack thereof to do something for it. They always had to believe in Him. didn't matter if He was raising up lame legs, if He was opening blinded eyes. didn't matter what it was. They always had to believe. Him. He made it clear. He would say, Your faith has made you clean. Your faith has set you free. He always emphasized that they had put their faith in Him. We find no exchange like that in Mark chapter 5. Now, why is that? Because I believe this man already had faith in Jesus' was. Now, wait a minute. Here's a man. His entire life, or at least a great portion of it, has been spent in a place that is so disobedient, so secular in its perspective, that the villagers are raising swine, which they were prohibited by the law to do. Here is a man that is so tormented, is so broken, that he is cast out of society he is, he is treated as an outcast, as someone that is unwanted and unloved. Here is a man that is so warped and so twisted that he spends his days crying and weeping and trying to destroy himself. Where did he learn all this about Jesus? Why is it when Jesus shows up, this man knows who he is, knows what he can do, and knows when he gets there? Sounds to me like somebody's already been working on this old maniac again there. And I'd ask this question tonight when we read this about him. Why was the maniac so receptive of Christ? Why was he seeking his help? What had he seen to make him this way? Turn back with me to chapter 4. Would you do that for just a moment? And Let me read six verses to you. And then I want to say a few words about the message tonight. You see, the maniac of Gadarin dwelling outside and dwelling in these tombs He was probably aware of what transpired in the verses we're about to read. You're probably familiar with this. Mark chapter 4 verse 35 reads this way, The same day when the even was come, He saith unto them, Jesus saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. When He had sent away the multitude, they took Him even as He was in the ship. And there were also with Him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obeyed him? I would summarize it this way. That don't mean I'm about to be done preaching. Don't get excited. I'd say this. You say, Preacher, where did he learn all this about Jesus? On that night before Jesus showed up, I believe this man had watched a violent, destructive storm tear across that sea like he had seen a violent, destructive storm tear across his soul. He saw the lone silhouette of a man stand on a boat, lift hand to heaven, and calm that raging storm. I want to preach to you for a few moments tonight on the sermon of the storm. And let me say it to you this way. This man got help as he watched what God did in a storm that some other people went through. You know, in your life and mine, we're going to go through some storms. You mark her down. We're going to go through some things we ain't looking for, we ain't praying for, we ain't asking for. Things that we're begging God to take away. We may struggle sometimes to understand why God is permitting us to go through it. But you know what we may not understand, Brother Ken, is there might be some old broken, twisted soul standing off somewhere to the side that's watching what we're going through trying to make up their mind about the God that we say we serve as they behold what we're going through. When I read Mark chapter 4 and I think of this maniac that has parked himself amongst the tombs and, and, the, and the mountains there on the hillside watching all of this unfold before him, I can't help but think there was three things that he learned as he watched that. Number one, let me say tonight, I believe he had seen the providence in the storm. Now think about this with me. These men are out on the Sea of Galilee and the Lord Jesus, He is asleep in the bottom part of the boat. Uh, he is perfectly at rest. He is perfectly at ease. He is perfectly content that He is perfectly saved. But while He is sleeping, a great storm arises. They begin to cry. They begin to scream. They begin to pray. And they go and they shake the Son of God awake. And they look into His eyes and say, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus steps up onto the platform of the boat and calms that storm. You know, I bet this man probably looked out and he recognized this that the storm brings help to the people in the middle of it. They would have never got that help had the storm not been going on around them. Have you ever thought about the fact that if there had been no storm, there would have been no miracle? You know, in your life, I'm going to say that again because I don't know if any of us really got it. If there had been no storm, there would have been no miracle. Man, we praise God for the miracles. But if there hadn't been no storm, there would have been no miracle. He learned that sometimes the storms are the means that God uses to bring His divine help and power into a person's life. In other words, He probably looked at it and said this, looks to me like God was trying to do something through their storm. Wonder if God's trying to do something through my storm. Looks to me like God's trying to get their attention and trying to work in their life through what they're going through. Reckon wonder if God's trying to work through my life. You know, sometimes we give the devil too much credit. Sometimes problems come and troubles come. The first thing we run to is we say, well, the devil's trying to destroy me. You know, sometimes we do that. We rob God glory for what He's trying to do. You know, I don't believe it was the devil that stirred this storm up. I believe that God permitted this storm because I believe that God was trying to show both them and that maniac just what He was capable of doing. You know what would be far better? Uh, Is if when we go through storms, we instead turn and look to those around us and say, you know, listen, I ain't happy about it. I don't like it. I'm just like anybody else. I ain't super spiritual. I wish I wasn't going through it. But one thing i got to say about it is had it not been for what I went through, the good God of glory couldn't have showed up in my life in the way that He did and worked to such effect and to such power. Hey, the storm brought help into my life. And we need to we need to recognize that the storm brings help. I would say number two, you know what I think he thought about? I think he saw that the storm, because it brings help, but Charlie, it brings hope. The storm don't mean everything's ending. The storm means things just getting ready to get started. He recognized that if the storm could bring the sleeping Savior out of the, the hinder part of the ship and to the aid and assistance of those disciples, then it must mean that, hey, the Savior still had a plan for him. There was still a future. There was still a help. There was still a hope. You know what some of these broken people walking up down these streets need to hear? Is that there's they still got a future. Man, they think they're done. But ain't no telling how many people sitting in God's house on this Sunday night who were done at one time. Talking about the world was done with them, the devil was done with them, their addiction was done with them, their brokenness was done with them, and God came walking by and said, well I ain't done with them yet. I want to do something in their life. I picked them up, and remade them, <laughs> shaped them anew, I remolded the clay and made it into something beautiful. I'm just saying this, it might help somebody that's all messed up like this maniac to recognize that there's still hope, that there's still a future, that there's still a plan, that there's still a possibility. When they watch you and what you're going through, we we need to not give in to this whole fatalistic crowd that wants to walk around with their heads hung low, acting like God fell asleep at the wheel and fell off of His throne. That ain't my God. That ain't my Christianity. We need to be willing to lift up our head lift up our our, our eyes under the hills from whence our help comes and say, you know, listen. I know I ain't happy with what I'm going through, but I know God's in control and I know He's got a plan for me. I know that there's providence. In the storm. I think he probably saw the providence of the storm. Number two, I think he probably saw the presence in the storm. Now, listen, if you don't agree with me here, that's alright. You ain't, you ain't the first person to ever be wrong, and you're entitled to that wrongness. You can disagree with me. I, I mean that, you know, that's joking, but I mean this seriously. There, you can disagree with me about this, and there's probably room to disagree with me. Don't say anywhere in our Bible explicitly, but I just, I can't help but look at how the man acted and think, man, you know, God's working in his life before they ever touched down. Uh, before that, before that boat ever, ever slid up onto the shore, God was working in in their life. And I, and I try to think, what was it that he saw? And you know, I wonder sometimes if you didn't see that lone silhouette step up out of the hinder part of that ship and stand there like a great bulwark against the storm in front of him. Stand there, the creator facing his creation. And with great power, with great authority, just simply calmly raise his hand. He didn't have to yell and he didn't have to holler. All he had to do was say, peace, be still. And all of a sudden, the storm calms down. You know, I wonder what he thought. I bet he thought this. I I, I can't swear to it. We may get to heaven. He may smack me right across the jaw and say, you lied about me. But I, I can't help but maybe he thought, you know, that fellow's fearless in the storm. All the disciples, they're afraid of the storm. But that one man, he ain't afraid. Look at him stand up there in the face of the wind. Look at him stand up there in the face of the waves. Look at him stand up there in the face of the thunder and the lightning. He stands there like God Himself. He's not afraid of the storm. Say preacher, why did that mean something to him? Because his whole life was full of people that was afraid of the storm. It was his family that had Cast him out of the village. It was a community that had excommunicated him. It was the people that had said, we can't handle him. We can't take care of him. He's too messed up. He's too broken. He's too far gone. We can't do anything with him. Everybody was scared of his story. Till he met a man one day that stepped off of a boat onto the shore and didn't run and didn't recall and didn't look with horror but instead looked at him and said, son, you want help with that problem you've got? Let me do for you what you cannot do for yourself. wonder how he figured that Jesus... I mean, why wouldn't Jesus be like everybody else? Everybody else ran away when they saw Him. But How did He know? I think He saw that when everybody else was afraid of the storm, Jesus, He wasn't afraid of the storm. You know, we need to, in our brokenness, show other broken people that God ain't afraid of broken people. He ain't. You know, sometimes we... We get so we, we get saved so long and sanctified so much we forget what we once was. And I know there's a ditch on both sides of the road. I know there's a danger in glorifying sin and, and glorifying our lost lifestyle. And I'm not saying we should do that, but I'm just saying sometimes we get so put together that we done forgot that we were broke all to pieces at one time. And then we look at a world that has broke all to pieces and say, look how put together I am. And they look and say, well, listen, I'm happy for you, but that ain't me. And if your God has to have you already 90% finished before He can help you, He can't help me because I broke all the pieces. In other words, they need to be reminded that God takes the worst of the worst. He saves them from the isn't what the old preacher said, from the guttermost broken to the uttermost. He saw that Jesus, He was fearless in the storm. The storm didn't scare Him away. Ain't nobody so broken that God's scared of Him. God's seen the worst of humanity's sin He hasn't just beheld it, he became it. There's no one so messed up. I mean, there's, there's been people I've known. I didn't even want to, I don't care if you do judge me for what I'm about to say. There's been people so messed up, I didn't want to breathe the air they was breathing. Right? You ever been around somebody so messed up, you held your breath till they passed you by? Oh, I know you're super spiritual, but I've been there. I'm glad the Lord don't do that. There's been people. I've looked at in their brokenness and thought I need to do everything I can build a hedge about me and shut them out. Try to keep them from touching my life and soiling my life. I'm glad the Lord don't do that. He, Listen, He didn't just behold our sin. He became our sin. Where did this man learn that Jesus would do that? Well, I think he, he stood back and said, you know, if that man ain't afraid of that storm, he probably wouldn't be afraid of me he'd probably be willing to help me. I think he saw that he was fearless in the storm. You know, I think too, he probably thought to himself, look at how faithful that man is in the storm. If that man has the power to calm the sea, he could leave that ship and he could leave those within it to perish by themselves. He probably thought to himself, and, and if he beheld it, if he saw it, you couldn't come away with any conclusion except that that man on that boat is God. Only God can command the, the sea. I know every, every few years we get a politician in, they think he's going to make the seas go back and recede and everything else. I got news for you. Don't nobody control the bounds of the ocean but God himself. Your SUV don't. Your private airline don't. Don't none of that. I'm sorry. That's not in your, in your jurisdiction. God's got control of all of that. And they just had a little bit better sense back then than we do now. And I think he probably looked and saw and thought, you know, that, that must, if that's not God, it has to be God's man. One way or another, that man is from God. You know, he probably thought to himself, you know, he could just leave those people in that mess. He could just say, it don't affect me. It don't hurt me. So I ain't worried about it. But instead, he stood up and he calmed that See, he, he recognized how faithful he was in the storm. Man, listen, I, I, I need about six sermons to say all I need to say here. Let me try to summarize it and say in this. People need to hear about how faithful God is. In the middle of our storm. Sometimes we do this thing. We, we give a, we give a, a surgeon general's praise warning, brother Kim, when we're going through problems. We'll say things like this. We'll say, well, you know, God's been good, but you ever heard somebody say, if somebody says something, something, but whatever they said before the but don't even exist, don't even matter. Well, God's been good, but and then we'll go down about 400 million things of how everything's done fell apart. Can I tell you, and I understand, it's as Barney used to say, it's cathartic. I understand we might think to ourselves, it'll help us. But can I just say that that praise will help us more than complaining will? And you know people watching our storm, you know what they need to see? You know what they need to hear? They need to hear how good God's been through all of it. Or else, you know what they're going to think? They're going to think, boy, if it's this hard on them, and they ain't as messed up as I am, why would I go to God? If it's this hard on them and they just got that little problem, why would I go to God with my big problem? Instead, when they look at our storm, they need to hear how good and how faithful God is. And you say, preacher, you're asking me to put on. No, I ain't. You know how I know that? Because He is good and He is faithful. I'm just asking you to tell the truth about God. That's all I'm doing. And saying we ought to give Him the praise. that's His name. I think He saw the presence in the storm. And then finally tonight, I think He must have recognized the power of the storm. He saw two things here. Number one, he saw his power in the storm. He said, what do you mean, preacher? Well, the thunder and the lightning didn't do anything to diminish the power of the Savior. Uh, it may have been they were helpless in that storm, but Kim, he was not helpless in that storm. Sometimes we'll think to ourselves, my problem is so big that God can't help me in what I'm going through. If it wasn't so big, if it wasn't such a problem, if, if, if it wasn't so hopeless, maybe God could do something. But you know, this man, when he beheld them out on the Sea of Galilee, he must have thought to himself, that storm's fierce and that storm's terrifying. That don't seem to affect his ability to control that storm one single bit. Can I say in your life, and I'll just preach to you for just a moment, can I just say, ain't no storm you're going through that's bigger than the God that you serve. Ain't nothing you're going through that God looks at and says, well, it's just too much, I'll just back off. I can't handle it, I can't fix it. No, he's got power in the storm. And then I think he probably noticed his power over the storm. Not just that he could work in it, but that he could have power over it. That storm lasted until Jesus raised His hand. So, preacher, how long's my storm going to last? It's going to last until He raises His hand. I don't know how long that will be. And I'm not saying that prayer don't mean any. I'm not saying it don't matter. I'm not saying it don't affect things. I'm just saying God has a will about what you're going through. God has a purpose in what you're going through. And that storm's going to rage, that wind's going to blow, that thunder's going to clap, and that lightning's going to strike until He raises His hand and says, alright, it's enough, and calms that storm. Can I just comfort you tonight in saying when the time comes, you rest assured He has the power to lift that hand and calm that storm immediately. I'd just put it as simple as I can and say this. He must have looked out there and thought, He can do that with that storm out there. Maybe he can do that with that storm in here. They beheld, he beheld them going through that great trial, that great terror. And he said, you know, if God could do it for them, God could do it for me. Why is it that when you witness to some people, it seems like they're already ready? Well, part of the reason is they've probably been watching somebody else going through a storm. They've probably been watching God work in somebody else's life learning some things about God. So that then begs this question of wonder who's watching your storm tonight. Wonder who's looking at what you're going through tonight. And saying, what can I learn about the God they serve by what they're going through? Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. Here's what I want to ask of you. Two things. One, if God spoke to your heart, would you respond to it? Would you would you be obedient to him? Would you meet him down here in the altar if he spoke to you? Number two, if you're going through a storm, you know what I think would be good is if you would Find a place down here and ask the Lord to help you to go through that storm faithfully. To recognize that there's probably folks watching, observing, deciding based off what you're going through. And ask the Lord to help you be a fit vessel for the storm that you're experiencing. Father, bless this time of invitation for Your glory and honor. We ask You in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed.